you remain standing, let's read uh, God's Word. If you would, turn with me to uh, 1 Peter. But we've been working through. We're going to start at verse 22. We'll remain standing if you read the Word and then be seated. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You may be seated. Sure is good to be back. Sheila and I talk all the time, but when we come to visit here, it doesn't really feel like a visit anymore. It's like an old home to us, so thanks for having us again. Just so glad to be here. And I talked to uh, Todd um, Friday afternoon, and he was in a Starbucks in Manhattan. And I could barely hear him for the noise in the background. I thought, man, he, he's a long ways from Walter Hill in a lot of ways. He, uh, I mean, he loves New York and places like that, and I'll, I'll stick with here. But uh, he's, uh, have, they're having a great time. He's so grateful, not just for the trip, but uh, he is a grateful pastor of uh, this church. And was on the phone, he's on his vacation, and guess who he was talking about? He was talking about y'all. So uh, just look forward to them getting back. He and I will be in the car early in the morning on I-24, improving our prayer life together. So I know he's looking forward to getting back. And um, So let's look at our message today. What a great book of First Peter and I think this is one of those um, messages or one of those books to where it's really important to take a look at who it was that wrote this book. And Peter, he's one of the guys that everybody knows about in the scriptures. And so as we look at context, we're going to talk about four words today, just four simple points. We're going to talk about hope, obedience, love, and word, as in the abiding word of God. Four, four words that really describe our entire life as followers of Christ. And if you look at the book itself and the man that wrote it, think about Peter just for a moment. and Think about what the first thing is that comes to your mind when you think of him. It's probably not shrinking, violent, shy, never talking about what's on his mind, right? Peter is bold and confident and kind of says what he means and halfway means what he says every time. And I, I wrote down five incidents in his life that are important to keep in mind as we read these words this morning. He was the one when Jesus pointed, asked him a pointed question. He said, who do you say that I am? Remember what Peter's answer was? You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. In other words, Jesus, you're God himself. And Jesus said, well done. It's absolutely right. Remember what happened three minutes later? Jesus, he was confronting Jesus about how wrong Jesus was. Jesus had to confront him back. Like, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Stop talking crazy. All right, Peter. Second one is, Peter in the upper room, John chapter 13, remember what he said to Jesus? Boldly, Jesus, all these other guys may leave you, but I never will. Jesus had to confront him again. Yes, you will, Peter. As a matter of fact, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the dawn of the day. Guess what? The time came, Matthew chapter 26, Peter certainly did. He, he denied Jesus three times, and it says, I believe a turning point in Peter's life. It says, after Peter heard the rooster crow, he went out and he wept bitterly. And as bold as this man was, he was a broken man, weeping bitterly about what he had done to betray Christ. And then uh, there's this wonderful little nugget in the book of Mark, chapter 16. The women come to the open to the tomb in the morning, and Jesus is not there. And the angel says, 
He's not here. He's risen just like he said he would. And then the angel says this, go into the town and tell the disciples, and remember the next two words, and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. What a beautiful ray of sunlight into a very dark time for Peter. The angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter that he is risen. Don't forget him. It's almost as if Jesus pulled him, pulled him aside to you be sure you tell them to tell the disciples and make sure Peter knows this. Then it said later on the, that the risen Christ appeared to all these people and who? And Peter. It's almost like Jesus looked Peter up and said, hey, listen, told you it's going to happen. I forgive you. It's okay. Peter's breaking and weeping bitterly. And then John chapter 21, Jesus officially kind of restores Peter. Remember the three questions he asked him? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And about the third time, Peter goes, stop asking me that. I love you. And he said he was in, in grief. And Jesus loved Peter enough to take him into this place of great grief and sadness as he restored him to, the, to him, his own identity as a follower of Christ. And so here's this man writing this book to us we call First Peter. And then its companion, Second Peter. And so if we ever knew a man who was well acquainted with these three words of, of hope and obedience and love, it would be this man, Peter. So bear that in mind as we walk through what really is kind of a hidden gem in the book, too. If you look at our text uh, before, there's this beautiful doxology in verse 20 about how he was foreknown before the foundation of the world and was made manifest in the last times for us. This beautiful verse of doxology. And then afterwards, starting in chapter 2, Peter gets right down to it, says, okay, here's what you do in response to this God. And in between, we have our text today. So I want to take a look. If you put that slide up out there, it is. Um, here's a little hidden gem in this. Look at our text. And right in the middle of it, there in red, we have this command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And so there's where our attention is drawn in this text. We've got stuff before it we're going to talk about. We've got stuff after it we're going to talk about. But right in the middle in red, in our minds and hearts in red as the church, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So this is kind of an, an amazing place. Now here's what we know looking back at history. This book is, is written uh, around 62, 63 A.D., somewhere along in there. And if you remember history, your history books, I don't think any of us would remember 64 A.D., I don't think, but... Um, if you look back in history, in A.D. 64, Nero had Rome burned to the ground. And who was blamed for that? Christians were blamed for that. And so a year or two after this book is written, it's worldwide hostility toward Christians. And so Peter is writing to a group of people who are going to need the security. They're going to need one another desperately. They're going to need the body of Christ to come together because they're living in a world that's going to get increasingly hostile to them does that sound familiar <laughs> at all to us in 2016 so this book is old 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 and extremely contemporary and so if we as the church of jesus christ and we as Powell chapel baptist church have a text uh, a passage to really put deeply in our hearts as time goes on this is the one for us and so let's take a look at the first word hope just do a real quick run through what todd has already covered with y'all earlier in the book look at verse three we're talking about the word hope. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living, what? Hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Peter starts right out and says this, hey, you want to talk about hope? I'll give you hope, the first words out of the box. Jesus, in resurrection power, defeated the undefeated enemy. Death was undefeated, and, and Peter starts right out by saying, but death isn't undefeated anymore. It's done. Ultimate hope. Look at verse 4. What we're, the hope we're born into, an inheritance. He said that inheritance is characterized by four things. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's reserved. So Peter said, let's start right out with the most important thing we can remember in the middle of a hostile world. We have ultimate hope, beginning with the death of the undefeated enemy called death. And you have an inheritance that's characterized by four things. It's not going to spoil, it's not going to go away, it's going to last, it's not going to corrode, it's going to be around forever. And then coming out of that, he gives four commands. I wish there was a softer word, but they're really commands for us. The first is in verse 13. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought you, the revelation of Jesus Christ. First command, set your hope fully on Christ. Verse 15 is the second one. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That's a big one. Command, be holy. Third one is the last of verse 17. Uh, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And the fourth one is what we have in front of us today. The fourth one is earnestly, fervently, love one another from the heart. So we have in red this uh, command right in the middle of our passage that we're to love one another. So he says, look back, there's our second word. second word is obedience. I would ask you to write in your notes the word active obedience. So we have this hope in us. And Peter says, okay, how do we live in this hope? How do we live in this brotherly love? Verse 22. He said, we live in it by having purified our souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. Now, how in the world do we do that? How do we uh, live in such an obedience like that? Is it just trying real hard or is it just self-will or is it reading more, praying more, doing this or that more? Peter gives us the answer to the question uh, in, the, in the third command. It's in verse 17. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Seems like a strange thing to say. Peter, the fearless one, saying, conduct yourselves in fear. It doesn't seem to fit. Here's what Peter's talking about. We have this thing inside of us called a heart. And in that heart, God has implanted these things called feelings inside of us. And so Peter's saying, listen, you're living in a hostile world. You would be insane not to have fear living in a world like this. And in your fear... Cry out to God. Cry out to Him. All of us parents in here remember the days probably when our kids were scared of the dark. Remember that? And what did they do when they were scared of the dark? They cried out for mommy or daddy to come be with them when they were afraid in the dark. And not one of us walked in there and said, don't be so ridiculous as to be afraid. Right? No one did that. And we're human parents. We don't we don't hit our kids or scream at our kids for being afraid of the dark. What do we do? We go in their rooms, we lie down beside them, and we provide them comfort because they are afraid. Because they think outside the window there's a monster. We know it's a tree. They think it's a monster. Like inside the closet, bad things lurk. And when mommy or daddy come into the room, their fear is met and recognized and someone's with them. So Peter's saying, look, the world is rough. He doesn't have any way of knowing in a year or two it's going to get rougher. So live your life in this world as exiles with real healthy fear. Not to flee, but to call out to God. Because the world's a scary place. So as we're walking in this scary place, 
cry out to him, and he is faithful to open your eyes to how he has already shown up. And so <clears throat> we have this thing called fear, and it says, in our fear we are to uh, uh, purify our souls by obedience. What's the first phrase you think of when you hear the word obedience? Now, how I grew up, by the way, my, my mom would be 75 years old today had she lived. She went to heaven eight years ago, so I'm, I'm thinking about this obedience thing pretty, pretty heavily today. Um, obedience is most often thought of as um, do what you're told. Here's what's the crazy thing about this word. The word obedience here literally means to hear under, to hear under. And it means to hear under authority. It's an intensification of the word listen. It's listening, yes, but listening with intensity. Listening as to someone in authority. Listening uh, as if to not miss anything that is, that is said. Now, we have a phrase in Tennessee and other, part, other states around us called setting on ready. S-E-T-T-I-N, setting. Remember that? Always setting on ready, ready to go. That's the picture here. Think about this. You've seen those movies where there's an airplane crashing, the pilot passed out or something, and there's always this guy, just happens to be this guy that runs up to the cockpit, and he jumps in the seat, and he puts on the headset, and he's talking to the control tower. There always seems to be an old pilot hanging around these control towers that will tell him what to do, right? Think about if that were you. Think about if you were in the pilot seat and you had a hold of that yoke in that plane, and you had to listen intently to what that pilot said to you to get that thing on the ground, well, that's the idea here. If you were listening to instructions from a pilot on how to get a plane safely on the ground, that's how you would listen. And that's what Peter's talking about here. You purified your souls by obedience, by listening very intently because Peter's saying, hey, y'all, the plane is going down. We're living in a world where the thing is crashing. And so you have purified your souls by after accepting Christ as, as Savior, He becomes Lord, and you listen with the intent of acting. It's almost like I live my life in the starting blocks like an Olympic sprinter, and, and I'm listening, and I'm ready to go. There's that phrase in the Lord's Prayer that says, oh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. An old friend of mine, he recently went to heaven too at the age of 88. Bill Gray, a career missionary, Bill said, you know how God's will is done in heaven? Immediately. There's no arguments. I don't know. I think I may have a better idea, God. What do you think? Uh, it's not done that way there. And so Jesus is teaching them to pray in such a way that says, do his will here like it's done in heaven. Do it right now. Do it right now and do it thoroughly. And so Peter's saying that's a kind of obedience we're talking about, active obedience, listening under, listening under authority, we're in the seat of a plane that is going down, and we need instructions on how to live in a world where the plane is going down. So Peter says, you've purified, you've made pure your heart by doing that, by in your life in a fearful world, crying out to the perfect Heavenly Father to come lie in the bed beside you because I need somebody with me when I'm afraid. So Peter said, that's how you've done it. That's how you do that. So that opens the gate to this command. Active obedience opens the gate to this thing we call earnest love. That's the second uh, point. It's, it's what's in red. Yep, still up there. Still in, uh, in red up there. So here's the thing. No teacher that I know of wants to be given the subject of love to cover in a half hour. It's like going to a comedian convention and, and doing something interesting about knock-knock jokes. I mean, it's like, 
how obvious is that the whole book from the first word to the last is about love right so this whole thing is about love used to have an old teacher who used to say this book we have in front of us is just God's love letter to us the whole thing is about a God who pursues us relentlessly because we're in a lost condition and he will preserve us all the way through eternity because he had a plan before eternity began and so where do you go when you're talking about love in scripture answer is really easy go to Jesus the ultimate one of love so we'll take a look at him real uh um, well, not just briefly, but kind of as a macro view. When you think about the love of Christ, Jesus, God himself walking on the earth among mankind, what do you think of most often? Like, was it kind of a love where he sat back in an office under the air conditioner and, you know, kind of drank coffee and read about love and just hoped it turned out pretty good for people? I mean, not really. Jesus had this active love. Jesus had a love that wasn't sentimentality. It wasn't trivial. Uh, it was incredibly profound depth. We have this place in John 13 called the Upper Room where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, including Judas's feet, the one who would ultimately betray him. And remember what he said at the end of that? Hey, guys, what I've done for you tonight, do what? Do that with each other. As I have loved you, love each other. He's just washed the dirty feet of his disciples. He's just shared a meal with them that's a representation of the utter deliverance that he has gotten for us. And he says, listen, guys, he gathers them together. Listen, guys, live this way with one another. It's amazing, too. The word we have here uh, is to love one another earnestly. That word earnestly is the same word used to describe how Jesus was in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane after he had this conversation with these guys about how to love one another. Remember how he prayed in Gethsemane? He prayed as if drops of blood fell from his head. He was so earnestly praying, so clawing the ground, so underneath the burden of what he was walking into, he prayed, and, and you know, scholars go back and forth. Like he was either pouring sweat, where it was pouring off of him, or he was in such agony, such intensity of prayer, the capillaries burst, and he began to bleed. And that's the same word that's in our text. It's almost as if Peter said, listen, y'all, I was there. Now, I took a nap while it was going on, but I was there. I was in Gethsemane with him. And this same way he prayed with such intensity, such fervency, is what I'm calling you to do as you love one another. Love one another till you sweat. Love one another till you bleed. Love one another with such an intensity that it, it, it brings you into this place of, of utter breaking, that your love for one another is, is that strong. So Peter's saying, coming out of a life of active obedience, got the headset on, listening, and you're going to move as soon as you know God says something. Coming out of that kind of life, you love earnestly. You love in such a way that has intensity what well, here's what's amazing here's an amazing revelation you would think i would think i would think that when peter is talking about um when there when there's a, a a community together and you set your mind on such a hope i would think he would say <clears throat> uh think of jesus all the time or be sure you're in his word all the time or or go do this or that but what does he say is a sign of spiritual maturity how we love one another in the church. That's amazing to me. 
of all the things Peter could have said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we are to do as we follow Christ. Here's what he lands on. Having purified your souls by obedience for a toward a brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I think that is amazing. Peter's saying it's a hostile world. The plane is going down. So if you want to check your spiritual maturity, look sideways. How are you loving one another? How are we loving one another in these four walls? How are we loving one another as the larger church of Jesus Christ out into a community here in Middle Tennessee and beyond? That's an amazing thing about love. So what does it look like? Well, it, it, it looks like, love looks like a million things, but this morning we don't have time for me, and we're going to talk about three. Three characteristics of love. Here's the first one. Characteristics of love in the church is delighting in the presence of each other. Delighting in the presence of each other. Way back. Psalm chapter 16, David writes these words. As for the saints in the land, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David's under siege. And David says, I need you. Lord, be my refuge is verse 1 of that psalm. And he says, when I think about that I'm not alone, when I think about there are other worshipers of Yahweh in my midst, they are the excellent ones. They are the ones in whom is all of my delight. That word delight in the Old Testament brought across over to the New Testament comes from the word charis, which means grace. And do I walk in that back door or this fellowship hall door over here or this side door over here? Do I walk in this building and do I look at those who are in this building with me and go, there is God's grace to me. The people I sit with in this room, there is God's grace. There's God's goodness to me. I delight in these people. I love being with these people. Peter said we have earnest love for one another. Would I sweat or bleed for these people that I am that I, in this body of Christ with? Delighting in the presence of each other. And secondly, believing the best about each other is love. Believing the best about each other. <clears throat> Anyone know what the word advocate means? The word advocate means with voice. And we are called to be advocates for one another. Not one argument against the other, but when a brother or sister has fallen down spiritually, fallen down, or is ill, or whatever, we're called to be the voice for them, to speak for them, to encourage them, to defend them, to believe the best about them. We're going to get to the third way, to the guideline around the third one in just a second. But to believe the best means, means this. It means that I'm looking out for resentments that I'm carrying in my own heart. It is so easy for me when I'm hurt, or somebody hurts my feelings, it's so easy for me to carry around a resentment. And all a resentment is, is a secret to someone how they've hurt me, and I am secretly plotting their demise, to put it real simple. So as I walk into the body of Christ, am I believing the best about my brothers and sisters? Am I dealing with my own resentments? Am I dealing with my hurts? Which brings me to the third one. Delighting in the presence of the other, believing the best about each other, and telling the truth to each other. Jesus is even clear. If I'm bringing my gift to the altar, and I know that someone has something against me, I do what? I go to them. 
and I make that thing right. So part of love is me being sure that I'm living in the truth with brothers and sisters in Christ and telling them the truth of any secrets I'm carrying of a personal nature with them. Because I tell you, we live in a messy world. And we needn't think that our enemy is not fighting real hard to create disunity in the body of Christ. He works overtime. He loves to stick swords and followers of Christ in the body together. If he can get us as the body of Christ divided, if he can get us to choose sides, if he can get us to not fervently love one another, he's gone a long ways in diluting the salt and light we're called to be. So three characteristics, delight in the presence of each other, believe the best about each other, and tell the truth to each other. That's what love looks like in the body. It's a, it's a rough, rough, rough thing. I remember reading a book, Chuck Swindoll, if you look right down the page, <clears throat> the chapter 2, Peter says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up a spiritual house to be holy priesthood. Swindoll wrote, here's the bad thing about living stones, they talk to one another. <laughs> It gets bad, right? <laughs> if we were just inanimate, it'd be fine. We'd make a fine, fine house. But then we start talking to one another, it gets, it gets off kilter. So we'd be sure we're loving one another fervently, earnestly, sweaty, bloody love, delighting in each other's presence, telling each other the truth, caring about one another. And then lastly, the eternal word. Hope, active obedience, now the abiding word. The theme really kind of continues here, this theme of, of hope. Look at verse um, 23. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. This is the good news that was preached to you. What is it about uh, the word here that he emphasizes? It's amazing. If you look at verse 23, look back a little bit. Look at verse 4. What does he say about our inheritance? It is imperishable. What does he say about our faith in verse um, 7? It does not perish, right? It's imperishable as well. What does he say about our ransom? Todd talked about last week in 18 and 19. It says it is, without, it, says it is not perishable not with perishable things such as silver or gold now and what does he say about the word it too is not perishable it doesn't spoil he's making a he's making a comparison between he says i've already told you ultimately our hope is in an inheritance is in christ who guards our inheritance our inheritance is what imperishable our faith is imperishable our ransom that's been paid is imperishable and guess what the word of god through which we came to believe and follow Christ, it too is what? Imperishable. Does not spoil. Doesn't go away. Will never leave. Lives forever. So Peter's putting a bookend on this text we have. We live in a life of obedience. We love fervently, earnestly from a pure heart. And because we have come to believe through this abiding word, even, even the, what he says about it, look, Quoting Isaiah chapter 40, um, the, here's the point about the seed. Here's what's funny about a seed. When a person's born by someone's seed, we take on the character of the seed. Let's do botany 101. If you put apple seeds in the ground, this is a, this is a true or false test. 
a pumpkin vine is going to grow out of that. True or false? False. Walter Hill education. True. False. How come? Because it ain't a pumpkin seed. It's an apple seed. So apples come from apple seeds. Humans come from human seed. We take on the characteristics of the seed from which we come. And Peter's saying, that's good news. Because this word came from a seed that is imperishable. Not like grass and the flower on top of the grass. Both of those wither. The grass, by the way, is a picture of um, flesh, about our life. Told Sheila, I don't, I don't remember what in the world I was doing on the floor. I'm sure it was an accident the other day. I was on the floor. I told her, I said, the floor gets further away every day. Have y'all noticed that? It used to be so easy to get up off of, and now it's like, kind of like a project to get up. And now, like, you know, the, 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 the grass withers. The grass of the body withers. And all the glory of mankind fades. There's this, I'm sure it's an apocryphal story. There was a, um, a, a man standing uh, beside two sets of bones, and it was the son of Alexander the Great. And a person walked up to this young man. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking at two piles of bones. They're the bones of my father, Alexander the Great, and of his servant, and I can't tell which is which. Alexander the Great in life, when he had flesh on his bones, the most powerful man in the world, owned the world. When he died, guess what? Body went away into eternity. Two sets of bones couldn't tell him apart. The grass withers and the flower falls. So Peter ends this by saying, hey, um, we come from a seed that is forever. So what does that mean about us? It means we too are forever. And Peter's saying it's hostile right now in this world and going to get worse. And we say in 2016, it is hostile and getting worse. But we know from this word here, the word itself is imperishable. Our faith is imperishable. Our hope is imperishable. The ransom paid is imperishable. Therefore, so are we. And there is an eternity after this ends. We're called to live in this purifying obedience here. And Peter says, in our fear, we cry out to God, but not to worry ultimately. Because as I started, Peter said, this whole book, hope, ultimate hope, you come from a seed that's imperishable. That means you are too. You will live for eternity with him long after the grass withers, long after the flower falls. Who you are made to be in Christ will be with him. In this next book over, Second Peter, Peter even says, I am making my exodus. I am departing. I'm dying. My body's dying, but I'm not without hope because I have seen with my own eyes who he is that's promised an eternity to me. So we'll uh, start to end this way. If you think about the uh, text in red, it's like something being held up for us to see. Pure love for one, pure-hearted love for one another, supported by two columns. The first column is a life of obedience. The second column is this abiding word of God. Those two columns hold up this truth of how it is we love one another in the body of Christ. So one other place. Turn back a few books to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a famous way we'll... Uh, we won't read the whole chapter. We'll make just a couple of comments and we'll, we'll end. 1 Corinthians 13 is written by a guy named Paul, yet another guy who was very well acquainted with this thing called grace and hope and love. A poor, like me, a poor candidate uh, to ever 
teach the Word of God to every become a Christ follower. Of all people, Paul writes chapter 13. Chapter 12 is about instruction. Chapter 13 is about inspiration. And Paul's given the instruction to the church in chapter 12 and said, this is how you need to do it when you meet. And then he says this uh, at the very end of chapter 12, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Talking about love. So he talks about how anything compared to love is impotent, it doesn't last. Look at verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Does that remind you of our text about how to earnestly love one another? We're called to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things together. Love never ends. And he talks about all these things of earth, they're all going to end. Now verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. The greatest of these is love. There's coming a day when our faith will be fully realized. It'll be sight. And we'll have no more need for hope because we'll be in the presence of hope himself. And what will remain? Love. So Peter says, please, paraphrasing Peter here, Peter says, please don't miss this little hidden gem coming out of this doxology, going into this instruction. Don't miss how we're called to love one another earnestly uh, in the body of Christ. It echoes what Jesus said in John chapter 13. I mentioned earlier, a new commandment I give to you so that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another because that's the thing that's going to last through eternity. That's the thing. Not our bodies, not our glory, not our accomplishments, not how many arguments we won, not how many times I was right. One thing remains. Love remains in the presence of him. I want to read you a quote <clears throat> from a guy named Tim Chalice, and uh, we'll close. Tim Chalice says this, Within the church, our love needs to extend beyond our comfort zone. The church is to be a community of people who love one another despite differences, who love one another through differences. It's a place where God showcases what he's doing in this world by calling all kinds of people to himself and binding them together in a spiritual family. Your church needs you to be an example of, Christian, of a Christian marked by love, a Christian who displays inner transformation by his or her outer actions. Last sentence, listen to this. Your church needs you, uh, needs you, need, needs you to serve Christ by serving his people, the people he bought with his blood. And as we look, side to, look sideways in the body of Christ, we're called to look at each other and say, he, she, were bought by the blood of Christ. And he or she are the, the excellent ones that I come to this room with in whom is all of my delight. Argue with them, mad at them, get offended. It's okay. Keep talking, telling the truth to one another, dealing with those secret things like resentments. I could not, uh, Tim Talitz has said it beautifully. We need to serve Christ by serving one another in the body of Christ because, let's say, the, the plane is certainly going down. But uh, Peter provides us with ultimate hope here in this word about loving one another fervently. So as we bow, I want to ask you to uh, pay attention to some things. Bow your head and close your eyes if you would. I'm going to give you something to meditate on. I'll close in prayer. And then uh, John will lead us in a hymn of invitation. I want you to think about this as you as you quietly meditate on the Lord this morning. 
Think about how, where you are in your delighting in the presence of your brothers and sisters, the body of Christ. And meditate on uh, believing the best about one another, those that you share a fellowship with. And ask the Lord to bring to mind um, any confession that you need to bring before a brother and sister or sister in Christ as you uh, tell them the truth about where you are with them. Father, as we meditate on these things, I pray that you would touch us, not just them, me too. Touch us in a way that is uh, glorifying to you, that as we're called to love that very thing that your word says you are, uh, love, that we would be touched this morning uh, by the blessing of the fellowship. We touch this morning by the love that comes from you, without which we would have no capacity to love in the first place. So I thank you for this body. I pray that we would grow together. Powell's Chapel is a body more and more and more marked by a fervent and an earnest love for one another from a life of obedience that has ultimately come from you. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Number John.